Hey, Bankless Nation, we are super excited to host this live debate. This is a debate on Terra, Luna, UST, the stablecoin, the bull versus bear case. I asked this question on Twitter, David, and I think this is the question for our debaters today. Is Terra, UST, the future of crypto money, or is it a ticking time bomb waiting to explode? Got a lot of responses on crypto Twitter as a result of that question. And then two debaters stepped up to the plate and were also nominated by the community to take one of two respective sides. One is the bull case for UST and the Luna ecosystem, the Terra ecosystem. The other is the bear case. And so we have two representatives taking that side. And we're going to try to get to, I guess, uh, the, the truth, or at least hear the arguments from both sides in this conversation. David, who do we have on the show today? And uh, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, of course. Coming in, in the left side of the ring, on the bull case, we have Jose Macedo from, uh, from Delphi Digital. And then in the right side of the ring, we have Jordi Alexander, Chief Investment Officer of uh, Cellini Capital uh, for the, the bear case for Terra USD. And I think really this conversation hinges on the question of do al al algorithmic stable coins, can they work at all? And if they can work, has Terra USD, has UST cracked that nut. We've seen many algo stablecoins come and go. Uh, lots of uh, algorithmic stablecoin experiments on Ethereum, empty set dollar, dynamic set dollar. Um, uh, but we have not tried the experiment as a layer one until Terra came along. And so far, that's been going pretty well with Terra. But still, there's still a fundamental question as, can an algorithmic stablecoin work in the long term. And I think that's going to be the, the main topic of what we are going to talk about today, along with all these other periphery topics as well, such as how is Anchor involved with this, the 10 billion of Bitcoin treasury that's being accumulated by the, the uh, Luna Guard Foundation, uh, and a few other things as well. Uh, so Ryan, these are the focus, uh, the, the focus of today's show. And here's why this is important, guys. Like Luna's valued at something like thirty billion dollars, uh, you know, plus or minus. I'm not sure at the time of recording. UST is now sixteen billion dollars. Um, it's definitely making its way into all corners of of DeFi, and so this is a this is a substantial market cap for these assets. So we want to poke and, and see what's the viability look like for these assets. What do the growth prospects look like, guys? Before we get in, a quick announcement for you. Want to tell you a little bit about a. Uh, fantastic NFT drop opportunity. And I think this is an opportunity for maybe first time NFT buyers or early buyers who want to support a good cause. So it is National Youth HIV and AIDS Awareness Day on April 10th. Uh, and the Consensus NFT team and also MAC, that's M-A-C, the makeup company, have partnered together to launch a, um, a set of NFTs from the iconic Keith Haring Okay, art by Keith Haring. There are three different levels you can get in on this NFT. Um, the first starts at uh, $25. So all of the proceeds from this, here's the cool part, 100%. all of the proceeds, 100%, go to HIV AIDS issues um, involving youth to support youth who are affected by HIV and AIDS. So really cool cause. And not only 100% of the sales, but also uh, all of the resale value. So remember, the cool thing about NFT is every time you sell an NFT, royalty can be collected. In this case, it's two and a half percent. That also, on an ongoing basis, forever goes to the same cause. Uh, so super cool opportunity. We will include a link in the show notes. But if you want to memorize this, it's bankless.cc/mac. That's all capital M A C. 
and you can check this out. The, the next step is really just uh, sign up, get on their list so that when these NFTs come out, you will be first to know. Uh, David, with that, man, I, I'm really excited about this panel because I feel like uh, I haven't fully explored the Terra and Luna and UST ecosystem in the way I've wanted to, and I've been looking for an opportunity to sort of get both sides of the argument. So I'm excited to learn along with the guests. I probably have some, you know, preconceived notions coming into this, and I want to check those and see if they're true or not. But this is going to be a it, this is a very important conversation, probably one of the most important conversations happening in crypto right now. So I'm super excited about this. You have anything else to add? Yeah, it's, it's extremely relevant. It's the talk of the town. Uh, the Terra community is uh, full of energy at the moment, and so I think Ryan, if we can do this show right, it will both be a zero to sixty in understanding the the Luna ecosystem, while also having a good back and forth debate as to the the merits. Of the, of the system as well as the risks of the system as well. Well, there's your hype, guys. We will be right back with our two debaters, our two panelists. Uh, but before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bankless Nation, here are our two panelists. Again, in the left side of your screen, we have Jose Macedo uh, coming in from Delphi Digital. He is going to be uh, arguing the, the bull case uh, for, for Terra Luna. And then on the right side of the ring, we have Jordi Alexander from Cellini Capital arguing for the bear case for the Terra ecosystem and for UST. Jose and Jordi, welcome to Bankless. Thanks very much for having me. Big fan of the show. Hey guys, happy to be here. Cheers. Thank you guys for, for volunteering to do this. I think this is going to be pretty fun. And like I said, going into this, uh, I think this will be an opportunity to go to uh, teach a lot of the, the bankless listeners, the bankless community who haven't uh, completely dove in to the Luna ecosystem, all about Luna, while also providing the pros and cons, the benefits and the costs, the bull and the bear case for Terra. Uh, and so I'd actually kind of like to start at that high level of just kind of defining what we're actually talking about. And so, uh, Jose, I'd like to start with you. Can you simply just explain the fundamental properties of Luna and UST? Like, what is what is the design philosophy and, and what are its goals uh, and how does it achieve those goals? For sure. Yeah, I know it's an educated audience, uh, probably more steeped in sort of Ethereum projects than than Terra. So I'll, I'll, I'll try and use some metaphors there. So I think the easiest way to understand Terra is actually through its product, which is UST, right? So UST is a decentralized stablecoin. You can think of it as something similar to DAI. But unlike DAI, which is built on top of Ethereum, um, UST exists on its own layer one, which is, which is Terra, which is a Tendermint uh, proof of stake uh, app chain. So for the ETH maxis, uh, or for, the, for, for people who understand ETH, uh, you, you, <laughs> you, can, you can say, like, uh, it's as if Maker MKR token didn't exist, right? So it's like ETH, uh, just ETH and DAI, and you have no MKR in the middle. Uh, so all the value would, would accrue to ETH and you'd have like DAI sort of built into the layer one level into the, into, into the ETH layer one. Um, and then, so how, how does UST itself work? So in terms of mechanism design, it's actually different from Maker, right? So Maker is, is a, is a debt-based stablecoin. Um, UST is more similar to, to an algorithmic stablecoin that has existed on, on Ethereum before. You mentioned some of them, uh, ESD, DSD, et cetera, um, where Basically, the way you mint UST is by, is by burning Luna, and the way you burn UST is by minting Luna. Um, and so this gives Luna a really interesting role in the Terra ecosystem, right? Where it's both the staking token, uh, like it would be for, for a proof of stake chain, but it's also the share token um, and, and the, the governance token for this, for, for this decentralized stablecoin, right? Um, 
And so in, in a sense, it secures both the, tech, uh, the systems like technical sort of consensus risk, but also the stablecoins, financial and, and, and economic risk. Um, this also me gives Luna like unrivaled value capture, I would say at, at layer one, right? Because unlike most layer ones, which just capture value from, from transaction fees, uh, Luna actually captures value in the growth of its main stablecoin. And since stablecoins are crypto's killer app uh, on pretty much every chain, uh, Luna like basically verticalizes, it's like vertically integrated, and it also captures the value from its from its main and like most successful uh, application. So, and then in terms of contextual data that might be useful to your users, uh, to your listeners, sorry, UST is the is the biggest decentralized stablecoin by by market cap. It's a, it's at roughly 16 bill right now. Uh, it's also probably about to be the most liquid with the four pool. Uh, maybe maybe controversial, but uh, yeah, it's probably about to be the most liquid. I would also argue, and I'll argue later, that, it, that it's the most decentralized in a certain sense. Um, and then Luna has its own layer one ecosystem, which itself is, is thriving uh, in the sense that it's, it has around 30 billion in TVL. It's the second largest L1 by TVL. It has core primitives for a lot of the stuff that you'd see on Ethereum, uh, savings, credit, um, exchange, perps, also an NFT, like a bunch of NFT marketplaces, a bunch of, a bunch of dope NFTs. So yeah, um, that, that's, I'd say like a, a high level intro to, to Terra. So Jose, I'm going to ask Jordi uh, to, to add to that, but just, just to kind of summarize the to taking from maybe the Ethereum paradigm, right? So it's, it's as if a layer one, like Ethereum, that's what, that's what Terra essentially is, had an algorithmic stable coin, almost baked in tightly coupled to its uh, core protocol. And the value of that algorithmic stable coin was somewhat sort of linked to in an algorithmic way, ETH the asset so the l1 exactly. asset itself and it's like the senior if the seniority accrued to eth right like the growth and imagine if the growth and die all accrued to eth or, or, in, or in the centralized stables all accrued to eth right and that is not the only uh usc of course is not the only application on uh terra terra also has you know general purpose smart contract uh layer where it has other sort of DeFi applications as as well but it it does have this special status almost like um, protocol, almost protocol native. I don't know if that's too yep. strong a term. Would I say, would you say protocol native or do you still consider UST a separate app that is distinct from the protocol? No, it's it's, it's a native, it's, it's protocol native for sure. So it's, okay. it's minted and burnt at the protocol level and Luna and UST are, the, are both the two uh, protocol native tokens. So that that is helpful because um, we can't really talk about UST without talking about Luna. So I think for um, listeners listening to this, when we say Luna and UST, you know, sometimes we'll use them somewhat interchangeably. But of course, UST is is sort of the the stablecoin pegged aspect, but it is almost a product of of Luna. And these two things might be used somewhat interchangeably uh, in this episode. Jordi, um, what would you add to this? Is there anything you would add? to uh, Jose's description or anything you might disagree with? Um, I mean, in terms of the analogy to Maker and some of the you know stable coins that people might be familiar with, like DAI, for example, that are over collateralized, um, the difference is that in a way, UST is collateralized by the value of the underlying chain itself, by the L1. Um, but instead of a model where you are necessarily changing your UST for Luna. Instead, it is adding inflation to the system. So imagine if somebody wanted to get rid of their DAI, um, instead of getting Ethereum from somebody, the system would literally just print new Ethereums and just kind of bestow those Ethereums onto the person that has DAI. So in a, in a way, like the DAI is an extension of uh, Ethereum 
where you could just get more Ethereum created from that system. Of course, the problem we know with inflation is that it reduces the price. Um, and that's kind of why historically these things have always failed because as you create inflation, you reduce the price, you get into a death spiral where, you know, the underlying price is going down and then, you know, people want to redeem more and then there's like a rush for the exit. And if you find that there is not enough exit for everybody, uh, some people are kind of left holding the bag and usually things go to zero in that case. That's kind of what we've seen historically, at least. So I think, I think to, to bolster this conversation, uh, and Jordy, you just touched on it a little bit, and Jose also touched on it, but I want to make this a little bit more formal. There's a relationship between the value capture of the Terra ecosystem and then the Luna token and then also the UST token. And I, I want to kind of uh, go back through this again. Uh, Jose, when the Terra ecosystem captures value, how does it manifest in the supply of UST? versus the uh, unit price of Luna, as in like the market cap of uh, Luna versus the total supply of outstanding UST. When the Terra ecosystem grows and captures value, how does, how does it get balanced between these two tokens? How does that happen? Yeah, so when there's um, demand for, for, like excess demand for UST, UST will trade above a dollar, right? And, and at that point, there's an incentive for someone to, to go and burn some Luna in order to mint UST and then sell it on the market and collect the, the arbitrage, right? With, with Luna providing kind of that layer one Oracle price that, that sets how you can mint and, and burn UST. And so as the supply of UST grows, there's more demand for, for Luna to burn it, to mint, to capture these arbitrage opportunities. And then obviously uh, Luna also captures a staking yield, which comes from, from the fees generated uh, on the network, the swap fees, and the, the actual just transaction fees on the on the on the network. There's actually Luna staking yield, which is pretty high. It's is it's not inflation based at all. Uh, it all comes from 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 network fees. And then Jordy, with this mechanism, uh, what are like the strengths and weaknesses in this particular mechanism that stand out to you, or, or just any comment on that mechanism and, and its sustainability? Um, the problem with so you don't really see there's a problem until there's like a huge problem. That's that's one big issue where there's going to be a straw that's going to break the camel's back at some point where, you know, you can keep backing, you keep backing, keep backing. And then there's a point where you just like suddenly like nosedive. So it's not like, you know, you get to slowly notice that something's wrong and you get to adjust and fix it. So um, that's, that's one of the issues that these things historically have, like it looks, everything's okay. And then suddenly it goes bad. And um, the problem is if you have a lot of retail users and you have a few big whales, we can, we'll, we'll get into this later, but Oh, yeah. Um, if there's a rush, yeah, like if there's a rush for the exit and you have a few very sophisticated players that own most of the coins and they get out first, then um, it's kind of bad luck for the people holding. Well, we're so we're going to get thing, into... I, the only thing I would add to that, uh, just on the historical metaphor that I think is important to note is, uh, while I do think historical is important, um, the comparison and, and like the idea that it's all it was all okay at a certain point with like esd or dsd or whatever it is is just like it's not true right but for anyone that was in those games that thing traded at every price except the dollar <laughs> like it was it it was at ten dollars esd at some point or, or like five dollars and then it was and then obviously it, it went straight down um all, all the way to whatever it is now like fractions of a fractions of a cent so i don't think there's been uh, any really algorithmic stablecoin that, that has anywhere near the, the track record of success of what ust has had right and like it's it's the the comparison in a sense is, is a little bit disingenuous because like Titan, ESD, DSD, 
they really never maintain stability for more than for more than even a few weeks. And and, and so whereas UST has maintained stability for 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 over like a year, um, in in, in face some pretty some pretty serious and, and testing mar market conditions. So I think the metaphors, while they're important and the design is similar, like the magnitude of success is just on a completely different scale where it's almost like in incomparable. I feel like we're already like diving into some of the debate topics that we definitely want to uh, want to reach. But you know, while we're talking still about the intro and the summary to make sure the audience understands UST and Luna is um, the, the last important piece. If you're coming from an Ethereum world, that's different. I, as I understand things, Jordi and Jose, that uh, Luna does not have a fixed supply the same way. It does not have a monetary schedule in the way that Bitcoin is 21 million and Ethereum is sort of, you know, um, basically based on parameter controls and validating those sort of things. Luna will actually inflate its supply in order to like um, stable, stabilize or respond to uh, UST as a stablecoin, the demand for UST as a stablecoin. So that is one big distinction from the Ethereum ecosystem, the Una, the Luna ecosystem, the Terra ecosystem. So I see you nodding your head. Yes. So uh, I think that's the case. Okay. So um, let's just high level before we get into some of these individual topics. I want to hear your high level summary from each of you on Jose, why you are bullish and then Jordi, why you are bearish and i think you've both hinted at some of these things but like just put it into kind of the the elevator pitch for us we'll start with you jose why are you bullish on this design yeah um so i actually think jordi and i uh probably are closer in in views on this than than most other than, than i would be with most most other bears but i, I want to do just a few disclaimers before before doing the, the on the bullishness so I'm very bullish Luna in that most of my net worth is in Luna and, and Luna alts, right? So that should tell you something about uh, sort of my bullishness on, on, on Luna. However, that doesn't mean I think it's riskless. Um, I've, I've consistently sort of outlined what I think, what I think are the risks with it and also the, the mitigants uh, to those risks. Um, it also doesn't mean I'm a maxi, right? Um, I'm, I'm really like as Delphi Ventures, we've invested like most of our investments and most of our, our, our nav is, is held in, in non-Luna non-Luna ecosystem stuff. We've invested in other layer ones. We're interested in other stable coins like, like Frax and, and Faye specifically or designs that I'm interested in. So by no means uh, a maxi. Um, and then, okay, so in terms of the, the high level thesis for, for uh, Luna, so uh, maybe I'll do the high level and just go through step-by-step step afterwards as well, if that's cool. I mean, maybe cut me off if, if, if not. So high level, stable coins are crypto's killer app. I think this is, this is hard to deny. Um, centralized stablecoins are, in my mind, a temporary stopgap that will be regulated away into irrelevance. Um, the end game is necessarily decentralized stablecoins, which I think is, is arguably the biggest market in crypto. I think it's a multi-trillion dollar opportunity. UST is the largest decentralized stablecoin by market cap, and it's also growing the fastest. Like the, the, the second die is actually uh, not growing, it's, it's declining. Um, and, and, and so... And it's, although decentralization is hard to quantify, as I said, I'll also argue that it's the most decentralized because it's the only one that doesn't rely on uh, cens centralized, censorable collateral like USDC and, and Tether. So that's sort of the, 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 high, level, the high level thesis. Uh, I can go in like in, on step by step into like uh, each of those points and add, add a bit more color to them if you want now, or I, I can let uh, Jordi I, I... Do, do his elevator thesis. Yeah, yeah, I think that's perfect for now. That's the perfect level of uh, level of expression of the bull case that we need for now. Jordy, what's what's your bear case? 
Yeah, I'll do like a very quick disclaimer as well. I, I don't want Luna to fail. I'm not like betting against Luna. I'm not short Luna, but I do see a lot of, you know, potential issues in the road. And, you know, compared to the current uh, euphoria around the Luna price that we've seen, I think there's a lot of things that people may need to understand and make. And Jordy, are you a Luna holder? Uh, I'm not a Luna holder. Okay. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I have no Luna um, long or short. So Got it. Thank um, you. I, I am an anchor right now. I think it's, uh, we'll get into anchor later. Um, you know, presenting the bear case while being an anchor are not two distinct things. I'll explain that I think anchor is like a huge marketing spend right now that um, is, a, is a safe thing for investors potentially to, to just say thank you and, and, and take some 20% yield. Um, while there's a lot of reserves and, and we'll get into that later, but in terms of the bear case, there are huge amount of, of assumptions between here and the end game that, um, Jose talks about. And I, and I, I understand the end game and I'm, I'm sympathetic to the end game. Um, the end game is basically, you know, we want something decentralized as opposed to USDC, USDT, where the government can intervene. Uh, the problem with something over collateralized is that it is very capital inefficient and cannot grow very fast while UST as we have uh, been talking about, has been growing extremely rapidly. That also presents risks with it because you can get over your skis, grow too fast, and and be in an imbalanced situation. Um, but the the main bear case is how far we are from here into execution. Are many many steps removed than 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 people realize. There's a lot of things that have to go right, and there's a lot of assumptions that we don't know. And there's two main ones. Uh, one is uh, will this peg hold in the meantime through volatility. Um, and volatility can come either through a bear market or it can come through a reduction in demand once, um, you know, the yield on anchor, which I believe is extremely crucial to the growth of Terra right now, um, reduces. And we're actually, the reality is nobody knows um, what the effect of that is going to be. Um, and uh, another assumption is even if it doesn't de-peg, that's not the only bear case. It is entirely possible that um, as we have seen with Uniswap, as we have seen with other successful protocols in DeFi like Aave, if something works, people will try to make a better mousetrap and you might see other L1s issue stable coins against them and add some little tweak on it on top and they can offer a higher yield. This is kind of what we've seen with SushiSwap and that will be bearish for Luna price without necessarily depegging the coin. Okay, guys, thank you for those initial statements. And I think we're going to be touching on basically every single element that was discussed by each of you. And uh, for this first one, to, to really start off the, the detailed side of this, of this show, I want to go back to, to Jose. Jose, you, you talked a, a lot about how uh, these other ALGO stablecoins just have not performed in the same way that UST has. And UST is in a league of its own simply by performance, right? We had empty set dollar come and not really work. Dynamic set dollar come and not really work. How, for, for what reasons do you uh, ascribe the success of UST in the face of all the other ALGO stablecoins that haven't worked? Like, what are the properties, what are the features of, of Terra and UST that has made UST hold its peg? and be so successful um, and, and what, what are those elements? What would you, what would you say is the re, uh, rationale behind that? Yeah, I'd say the, the, main, uh, the main thing is just that most people treated algo stables as a mechanism problem design where actually it's, it's a utility and demand problem, right? So like 
everyone sees the, the, these things as just you design a mechanism, you design a, a coupon system, a bun, whatever it might be, then you just, you just alter that over time and, and hopefully uh, it can maintain the peg. But actually the, the main thing that backs a stable coin is demand for it, right? That, 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 that's the main backer stable coin uh, to take this sort of build it and they will come approach or like peg it and we'll come approach right as long as we keep the system safe and pegged people people will use this and what we've seen is that that, that just hasn't really worked right and the 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 approach that ust took sorry it says my connections is stable can, can you hear me all right yeah we, we can kind of hear you you're breaking up here and there um it actually might be okay. beneficial if we actually um, just started from the beginning. Can you can you just start over? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so I think the, the big difference is that uh, most so algo stables and, and stable coins generally treat stable coins as a as a mechanism design problem, where in reality it's a demand problem, right? So you, you can construct the most elegant mechanism you want, but the main thing that backs a stable coin is is demand for it. And so where everyone else kind of focused on their, their coupon mechanism or, or on building an economy and around it and and so it's a lot for example the maker approach which or which is sort of build it and they will come or get and they'll come where you know and, and we've seen we've seen we, we've seen the struggles of that whereas ust the, the approach was let's not just build um a stable coin and with, with a clever mechanism let's build an entire economy of use cases around this centered around ust um which 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 allows which creates that demand around it. And obviously that the first one was mirror, which was uh, allowed people to get exposure to synthetic assets. And I mean, at, at a high level, I, I would split sort of, cause UST is money, right? And, and money, you, you wanna use it for, for two main things, either spending or deferred spending, right? Um, which, would, which would be like investment. So deferred spending is, is sort of all of DeFi and, and TeFi, like all these tools. So mirror, which gives you exposure to, to, to traditional assets, synthetic assets. You have anchor, which gives you a savings rate. You have Astroport where you can exchange it for different assets. You have, um, you know, Mars Protocol is a, is a credit protocol. You have Prism where you can split your yield. All these primitives that, that make this investment ecosystem really compelling, and, and that's only going to keep growing. And then you have the spending use case, which is how can I actually spend my UST in the real world, right? Because I, I don't want to have this savings account that's separate from my from my spending account. And and there you have all these neo banks come 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 online like Cato, like Cash, like Alice that are building all over the world. And, and sort of doing the, the work on the, on the front lines, on the regulatory front lines to make UST spendable everywhere. And the, the ultimate vision is to sort of close the loop, right? Where you never have to leave uh, this ecosystem. You have uh, a, like a, a really well-developed financial system with, with TFI, And then you also have a really well-developed spending ecosystem where you can spend this stuff all over the world and, and sort of make that really seamless. And I think that vision is, is the big difference between UST and, and, and all the other stable coins. And we're seeing some some of them understand this so for instance the, the Fay and rari merger i think is an admission of this right that it's difficult to have just a stable coin you need to build you need to like verticalize and have your use cases on top of it and so you've seen Fay like join up with rari and build these use cases on top you've seen frax with frax lending and i think the most successful ones are the ones that are able to do that but i don't think like the, with the lead that UST has in terms of the system and just the, the the community and everything. I think it's 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 much better positioned than than most of the others. I want to throw this to Jordi in a second, but one quick follow up, Jose, on this. Um, I, I think your argument to summarize it is that the vanilla algorithmic stablecoin model 
I think you are in agreement that that like without utility, algo stablecoins don't work. You can't just have an algo stablecoin just to have an algo stablecoin. You need to actually imbue it with utility for it actually to be sustainable. But my question to you is, are we just adding like a utility layer around an unstable foundation? Like if we know that algo stablecoins are inherently unstable, can you really solve that by adding just a utility layer around it? Or because in my mind, I think an argument could be made about how you're just obfuscating the instability and the instability will rear its head at one day. You've just obfuscated with utility between now and then. And what, what would you say to that? Uh, I, would, I would say that it's not that algo stables are inherently unstable. It's just that most of them uh, focused on Ponzi incentives, right? Versus utility. And what that does is it is it uh, it's really good at bootstrapping the supply of this algo stable, which so right with ESD and the in the expansions, you you were getting like massive growth in, in in ESD supply, but actually like there's no real demand sustaining that. And the, the that when when the market turns, the outstanding stable coins are actually a liability of the share token, right? The share token has to honor that and and get minted in order to satisfy that. And so you have the situation where uh, you've created loads of stable coins through Ponzi demand and and yield. And when that goes, everyone wants to redeem at the same time, right? Which is why it's really important for an algo stable. You have to build demand at the same time as you build uh, this, this holder base because you need it, you need it, you need it to be that when, when sort of markets turn and, and people aren't, you know, uh, collecting their like 10%, you know, seniority a day or whatever on ESD, there needs to be people that are actually using ESD. And so they're not redeeming it because they actually see utility in it and they're using it to do all this stuff. And so it's not that they're inherently unstable. It's just that they got ahead of their skis because they used Ponzi incentives to grow supply loads without having the utility to actually like back that up in the contraction phase. Awesome. That, that's a, a fantastic illustration. Jordi, what would you say to that? What are the thoughts that have risen to your mind? Um, you know, first of all, um, in terms of like the Ponzi-nomics, I would say that giving an unsustainable yield like Anchor is doing is a little bit like that. I understand why it is. And it's sort of, it's a marketing spend where you say, okay, if it's $15 billion and we're paying 10% above market, we're spending a billion and a half dollars. But if we're creating so much market cap, then then it's sort of okay. And it's a worthwhile investment. Um, and there's a lot of assumptions baked into that. I think- Jordy, um, can you take a yeah. minute just to explain what you're talking about with, with Anchor? So this is some way to in, uh, elicit demand for UST, as I understand it, through yield, which is maybe goes back to like, what is, what is a Ponzi uh, incentive, but you're saying it exists in Anchor. Could you explain that for uh, the listeners? Yeah, I think like, um, let's take a quick step back and, and tell the listeners what is on Terra because um, it's been around a while. It's not, a, it's not like it just got created now, even though the price has been going up recently. Um, you know, there, there, there were some fundament, fundamental building blocks that the Terra team built into the system. One was Chai, which was a payment system. The idea was um, if you integrate the stable coins into real world spending, that will be a link towards long-term sustainability because there's people actually spending it. It was a great idea. There's been a lot of issues with that. And I think the Chai experiment was fantastic. Regulation and other things in Korea. Um, I don't think that, you know, UST is being spent uh, for purchases. So um, let's call that kind of like a good idea that didn't necessarily follow through. Then we had Mirror Protocol, which was a synthetics competitor in terms of, um, synthetic assets, stocks, uh, bonds, creating these like financial instruments on chain to give access to people around the world. Um, 
Also, not something that's been extremely successful. Uh, we at Selene Capital have been in, in, in Mirror for a very long time, and we like the protocol, but the reality is both on the regulatory side, uh, as we saw with um, the SEC kind of um, complaints about it, and even on the stability side now, um, it, it was doing very well, and it's, it's been doing less well, and um, the assets there are not necessarily um, very stable right now. So I, another very good idea that has had problems executing. So what is the killer app? It is Anchor. Anchor is your savings bank. Uh, instead of getting 0.1% at Wells Fargo, you get 20%. That is something simple enough and desirable enough that it has created this huge, huge surge in UST. And it is especially the case now that we're out of DeFi summer. We're out of the initial uh, DeFi explosion where 20% yield was nothing, right? Like you had very easy 80, 100% yields, like nobody cared about it and nobody was looking at Anchor. But since then, we've had a huge contraction in yields. Um, as you know, the new protocols have figured out that maybe you shouldn't necessarily just give out all your tokens in the first week to predatory people who are just going to take them and leave. Um, so that's reduced the risk-free yield in DeFi in general. And if you call it 10% now, the anchor is actually higher now and they haven't reduced it because they realize what's going on. Like suddenly like everybody wants to come to anchor now because it's 20, so we should not reduce it. Um, Jordan, what do you mean? What do you mean by like, they haven't reduced it? Who, who's in charge of reducing it and, or increasing it? And, and also where does the 20% yield in anchor actually come from? Just, just to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Jordy, for to answer that after this, just, I think maybe it would be useful to, uh, I'm because I'm, I'm happy to talk about Anchor, but I think it it would be useful to have like the context of kind of the death spiral risk and the and the and like all of that and like that argument first because um, so I don't know if, how how I want to do it because for we'll, me there's we'll like there. four think, main counter arguments. I think Jose, like I, think, mm -hmm. I think we'll get there for sure. I, what I do okay. want to hear from Jordy though is like this. Uh, you said something, Jose, which is um, that it's based on utility, like utility value is is the big differentiator with USC. And I'm wondering if Jordy is getting to a point where he's saying, well, actually anchor is similar to some of the Ponzi game type economics that we've seen in empty set dollar. I don't know if that's the point you're making Jordy, but I'd like to hear your, your kind of your full expression of, of what you're saying with anchor. So where's the 20% coming from? So the, the 20, <laughs> I can't say um, what uh, those said to Kyle Samani, but uh, the twenty, <laughs> the twenty percent is that was a coming... South Park joke, by the way. <laughs> um, so the the twenty percent is coming from the Luna Foundation Guard. It's coming from ultimately the the powers that be that control Terra that have money to spend on marketing. A way to look at it is they're saying, you know, we've made we have this money in the treasury. Uh, we will keep topping up as long as we feel like we're getting a worthwhile return on adoption. And we will keep topping up um, this 20% yield above what, you know, maybe 10% is, is like a normal value for the yield given, um, you know, some of the natural rewards rates where you're getting um, the yield from the assets that are, that are being staked. So it's, it's a very expensive marketing spend. Um, the problem I have with it is twofold. One is the Sybil resistance is always impossible to solve for. So yeah, if you can actually give 20% to retail real people, you know, 
Alice and Joe, and they actually have a savings account with $20,000. They want to get 20%. And you think it's worthwhile to give them this extra $500 a year because you want to bring them into the ecosystem. That makes a lot of sense. But what you end up happening is uh, DGenBox, for example, which is like a, a way to wrap MIM and UST together and kind of magnify the yield and, and kind of keep farming this like extra yield. Um, that's kind of more the type of people that have taken advantage of, of the offer. So I don't think it's necessarily been super effective in terms of bringing in retail people. Um, and it's so hard to do. Like this is the problem with crypto in general and with blockchain in general. It's like, how do you just direct the rewards that you want to direct to real human beings instead of just a huge corporation or, you know, some DJ box thing taking all of the uh, incentives? So, so Jordy, yeah. back to kind of David's root question here, which is, I think Jose was saying, hey, this is different than other Algo stablecoin experiments in the past. It's not empty set dollar. It's not basis cash. This is fundamentally different. And so won't end up with the same fate. I mean, we have like a, a field of gravestones, as uh, David said at uh, pre the show, of other Algo stablecoins. Do you think that UST is destined to join those? Do you think it will ultimately fall in the same ways? Or do you think this time it is different with UST? Um, I think some, some people I talk to are completely convinced. I'm not convinced. I think it's sort of 50-50. It hangs in the balance. We have a much better team executing on Luna. Like Do Kwon um, has uh, an, an amazing like uh, execution um, spirit to him. You have jump you have like some some strong players that are backing that are not going to just let this thing die i think you know last may may 2021 where we had a, a big drop in the entire market and ust started to depeg um there were some powerful friends that came in and and saved the day and and it didn't depeg and you know uh, one year later those guys are um kind of reaping the rewards so it, it's much stronger than like some of these prior experiments and i'm not sure it's going to depeg but there are risks. There's two risks. One is Luna uh, price goes down because the entire market is going down. People start worrying that there is not enough collateral in Luna to absorb all the UST. So if the entire market goes down 50, 60% in a bear market, including Bitcoin, which is kind of the collateral that, that is now being accumulated, which we'll get it, we haven't touched upon. Um, but you know, God forbid the, the entire crypto market goes into, into like a really bad bear market there's going to be a loss of trust in UST because people are worried that there is not enough collateral to back it in terms of actual dollars. The collateralization percentage goes down and there's a rush for the doors. That's the one risk. And then the second risk comes from the other side. It comes from the dollar side where if um, the 20% on anchor gets reduced to 10% and then people no longer care about it, then you will see a, like we talked about before, they will burn UST that will mint more Luna, it will create inflation in Luna. And that's kind of a potential risk that starts to create uh, the basis of a death spiral where, you know, if Luna market cap is 30 billion and somebody burns 5 billion of UST, it's not just that Luna is gonna go down by 5 billion to 25 billion, there is a multiplier effect. So it'll be like times three to times eight or kind of like the, the estimates historically um, on, on like, you know, the effect of market cap. Like, like we've seen now in Bitcoin, Bitcoin has gone up 10% based on, you know, a few billion of buying. It's not proportional to the market cap. So that's kind of like the hammer that falls down and 
five billion of Luna sales just wipes out the entire thing. Right. Uh, Jose, I'm about, I'm about to throw this to you, but just I think to recap that is, uh, Jordi, I think what you're saying is that if you compare the outstanding supply of UST to the market cap of Luna, you're saying that there's no way that the Luna has enough like ammo, right? That doesn't have enough capital to, to fully uh, prevent a, a death spiral. Uh, Jose, you were about to kind of illustrate, I think, the, the case for a, a, death, a death spiral. And can you also just illustrate how Anchor, you think, fill, uh, fits into that role? Does the utility that Anchor providing uh, to UST, is that helping UST maintain its peg? Or, or do you also see a risk with, with Anchor? And can you just uh, illustrate some of your thoughts here on this? Yeah, so, so the first thing is like Anchor, uh, the 20% rate right now, is unsustainable, right? The yield reserve is, is depleting, but simulations that have been done, um, and, and we can link to a few in the show notes, show that the, a sustainable rate would be anywhere from seven to 12%, right? Which is still much higher than anything else available in DeFi. So, so, so the question is like, how much do you need to pay for people to accept the perceived peg risk of UST, right? And the number that the, the ecosystem landed on to start with was this 20%, which, which is a really strong meme, it's, it's, uh, and, and it's like the, the number where people are like, and even Jordy, right. Who's, who's, who's a, who's a bear is, is, uh, it, it sort of want, the, the yield is high enough to compensate for him having some, some UST in there. So, so the question is at what point, and now a proposal is passed to, to make the rate more dynamic. So it's going to, it's going to adjust every month. And so the, 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 the yield is going to lower. And so the question is like, what is the, the, the rate at which this, uh, people start saying, you know, this isn't, um, this isn't worth the risk anymore. And for, for me, that would be like below 10%. That's my sort of estimate there. Um, because I think Anchor is still going to be the highest rate in, in DeFi for, for the foreseeable future. And I think with its model, probably forever in terms of the combination of stability and high yield, I think Anchor will continue to, to be that. And then the other thing to say is it's, it's unsustainable. Um, just like PayPal giving away 20 bucks to everyone that used PayPal initially was unsustainable, right? It's it, like Jordy said, it's marketing spend. And I, I, I totally disagree with, with the idea that it's, that it's been not that successful or that the goal was to attract retail. In my mind, it's been massively successful because it's grown UST supply to 16 billion. It's increased UST liquidity. And I don't, I don't necessarily buy this thing that we need to attract retail or like it, this is a, a sort of a separate argument. Uh, I think like Jordy is the user. Like now Jordy's using UST and, and so are a bunch of other big funds in the space. They have exposure to UST. And, and you have this magic thing that happens where when, when the capital went into Anchor, um, that's when it was, people saw UST as most risky because it was completely uncollateralized. And so they needed that 20%. But now there's a Bitcoin reserve, right? And what if by the time, and though can fund this, this, this yield reserve for a long time. And so what if by the time the yield reserve is, is the, the yield comes down, the UST is like 80% backed by reserves, right? Then suddenly you have this magic trick where people came in because they wanted the high yield, the really high yield, and they needed that high yield to compensate them for the risk. But now there's a magic trick that happens and you're like, well, I kind of trust this thing now. You know, it's been around for a while. The four pool is the most liquid pool in, in, in DeFi. This thing has all the trading pairs. There's exchanges on layer two like ZigZag that are using this. Actually, I want to I keep my UST. And so it's achieved exactly what it set out to do, right? And, and for me, it's the most no-brainer marketing spend ever. Like if you can spend... 500 million to, to top up a reserve and get 16, you know, or like 10 billion in, in additional UST and get everyone using it and talking about it. And then you can collateralize it in the meanwhile and increase the trust in it. Um, I just think it's like just a, a genius move in my mind. And so that, that those are sort of my thoughts on the, on the anchor uh, sustainability piece. On the, uh, you, you indicated something like a 10% real 
rate, real yield coming from people that are actually paying uh, into into Anchor, and then it, go, it goes up to twenty percent when you add in like the the rewards, right? It's basically basically like a yield farming incentive program. Uh, that- uh, not not exactly like that, but, but yeah, it, it, it's just that um, basically the the rate that could be sustained because mm-hmm. the the Anchor rate is, is sort of a liability for the Anchor platform, right? Because they have to generate enough borrowing in order right. to be able to pay that rate to depositors because the, the depositors, right? So. And so the, the simulations that have been done is given current borrowing activity, how much, uh, how much yield could actually Anchor actually pay out? And so Anchor is maintaining the 20% rate, not through any, it's not like a yield farm. It's just, it's right. just literally, uh, you know, uh, LFG sending, sending some money to the yield reserve, which, which allows it to keep depleting and, and paying out that, that liability of the platform. Right, but and you said that if if uh, the fund stopped paying, stopped incentivizing the yields, it would come down to something like seven to twelve percent. I I think you said. Yeah. That is so high above the the rest of the industry. I think like USEC is two to three percent. Where does so much demand to borrow out of Anchor come from? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's it is the best place to borrow most uh, proof of stake layer one assets. Right. The model is that. You, you give up your, your proof of stake yield on, on your layer one asset. And in wow. exchange, uh, you, you borrow um, very, very cheaply and you have the anchor incentives on top. So there is some, like the, this model uh, it, uh, is like, like any model of, of, of stuff like this ha- has its flaws. For instance, it obviously has to assume an anchor price and the incentives that are being paid out to, to borrowers and stuff like that. And there's some reflexivity all, all, all the way through. But yeah, that's, that, that's how it does it. I think we're going to talk about maybe the probability of um, DPEG risk in, in just a minute, because I think, uh, Jose, you sort of um, underweight that a little bit. You think it's overstated, maybe. Uh, and I, I'm guessing, Jordy, you, you probably believe the opposite. But I, I do want to just zone in on this question, because you, you brought it up, Jose, is uh, the fact that LFG, which is a, a fund associated with, with Luna, in kind of um, that ecosystem and helping to like prop up the, the value of that economy, and specifically UST, uh, there's been recently in, in crypto news, uh, Do Kwan purchasing you know, up to $10 billion worth of, of Luna. And just before this call, I, I saw a, a LFG fund purchase, which is kind of an acting uh, org uh, for, for Do Kwan and the Terra ecosystem purchasing I don't know, $200 million or something Bitcoin, like they're doing this. Um, this is one thing I don't understand personally, which is, is the fact that they're having to buy a foreign asset, this is kind of to me like a, a bank reserve or a central bank reserve, maybe going and buying a foreign asset, an off-chain asset to, to Luna. The fact that they're buying Bitcoin, is that not an admission that the model isn't sustainable and doesn't work? Tell me about that, Jose. How would you respond? Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't really get that argument. Like, for instance, like Ethereum is is where is the fact that Ethereum is moving uh, to ETH 2.0 proof of stake sharding an admission that Ethereum as it currently stands doesn't work. No, Ethereum as it currently stands works. It's just ETH 2.0 is, is way better, right? Um, it's it's a better design. And so like Luna as as it existed for 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 its history as as a pure algorithmic stable worked. There's it's hard to deny that it worked. It's it survived uh, contractions. It grew like exponentially. It, it created a lot of use cases around it. But as it gets into this next stage of adoption and trust, it, that that Bitcoin uh, reserve backing is super important in order to, in order to bootstrap that trust and, and increase that trust and allow it to scale further. Jordy, do you want to comment on this before we move to systemic risks and the DPEG risks specifically? Um, I think 
it was universally agreed, even by the bears, that um, using Bitcoin as collateral and not only Luna is the right decision. It was a very smart move. It makes, even if you say it's fairly highly correlated to Luna, um, it's not going to be one-to-one correlated. So it is adding potentially some diversification and stability to the system versus having just Luna. Um, it just adds uh, Bitcoin risk and people will always be looking at, you know, what the big, like if Bitcoin goes down, they'll be saying, well, you know, Luna took a $1 billion loss today because they have 8 billion in Bitcoin and it went down 10% and that could create um, some FUD that you're kind of opening up to. But I think that move in itself was not a, a bad move. And Jordy, that, that Bitcoin itself, that's custody, is it not? Like where does that Bitcoin live? So this is like when I talked at the very beginning that we are so far from like the vision, which I like the vision, but like we are so far from the vision. There are so many things to figure out, um, even for these like super smart people that are trying to figure it out. They're extremely complex. Like you have Bitcoin, Bitcoin's on the Bitcoin network. You want to have Bitcoin on the Luna network so that it automatically in a decentralized fashion will uh, be able to be redeemed at 98% of a UST. And we can explain why it's 98% not one-to-one. But, um, you know, there's, we've seen all the hacks with bridges. We're going to see what solution ends up being found. And if it's REN BTC or, or what, what uh, version of wrapped Bitcoin they end up uh, using. But this is an execution risk that in my mind is far from being solved and is not without risks. We've always like on Bankless. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I'm curious your thoughts. It's like always on Bankless. We've we've always been. I mean, the show is called Bankless, right? Mm-hmm. But we, we've we've always been in the mindsets that the the moment the asset starts to have trust assumptions and get custodied, is the moment you start to turn into a bank. And I'm wondering, maybe maybe Jose, like your take on this, is what Terra is creating with UST now it's bringing in foreign asset reserves. Basically, how's this different than a bank? Um, yeah, so I'm. By the way, I'm a I'm a director of LFG, so one one of one of seven directors of LFG. Just as a kind of disclosure, um, and yeah, I, I agree. It's it's an unsolved problem to to Jordy's point. How to how to bring Bitcoin to, to Terra in the most trustless way possible? There are solutions out there. There's Axelar, uh, I think is, is is an interesting solution. It's, it's pretty trustless. There's obviously Thorchain, but none of them are ready for multiple billion dollars of, of of Bitcoin. And so at this stage, the Bitcoin is custodied. By um by by the foundation itself, which is which is not ideal, um, and then in, in terms of whether bringing in uh, an asset like adds um makes it a bank, no, I don't I don't think so because like the the, the there's already an asset there, there's Luna, right? Um, and and that asset is 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 like the native asset of the network. The only thing that it adds is is, is trust assumptions for sure in terms of bringing Bitcoin o- over to the network. Uh, but I don't think uh, trust assumptions make it a bank, right? A bank is, is literally, uh, the bank controls it. It's a centralized legal entity uh, that, that controls these assets. The, the, this, like what, depending what solution is chosen is gonna be much more of a, a decentralized process. And obviously with its own, with its own set of additional trust assumptions, that, that's, that, that much is like inevitable, I'd say. I want to I want to ask a, a similar question just from the the perspective of the protocol though. Ryan said that um, when you uh, use Bitcoin to uh, help backstop UST, you're kind of uh, admitting that you need external help to make the protocol sustainable. And I think this really goes into one of the design philosophy differences between Ethereum and, and Terra, where Terra seems to uh, 
be totally okay with like tapping into the power and the market cap of Bitcoin to help bolster its ecosystem. But uh, in my mind, that is one protocol, the Terra, the Luna protocol, saying that uh, we need security from external, we need external help for security for the protocol. As in the protocol can't sustain itself, we need to tap into the power of Bitcoin in order to make this thing long-term sustainable. And I don't think, in my mind, that you don't really, as a layer one protocol, it's, uh, it's a risk. It's a risk to tap into something that you don't have control over in order to help maintain the functioning of your ecosystem. Like Bitcoin can do things that are outside of the control of Terra because it's outside of the protocol. Jose, uh, do you see these concerns? Um, not really, because like Maker, you know, DAI is backed by Bitcoin and actually a, a very weak form of Bitcoin, right? With, with, with very weak trust assumptions, which is WBTC, which is basically a BitGo multisig. Yeah, it's also backed by USDC, right? Which is which is literally like centralized stable coins or, or an IOU for dollars in a bank account, right? Like if if the US government calls calls Circle and 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 obviously it's not, uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a phone call, but like there, there's processes in which the, those funds could be frozen. Um, USDC's blacklisted addresses before, uh, like it's it's very vulnerable, and I'd, I would argue a much bigger vulnerability um, than 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 the, than the Bitcoin one. And I still don't agree with this admission article uh, argument, sorry, because it, it's not an admission. It's, it's sort of a, a growth of the model. And I, I don't think Bitcoin's going to be the only asset that backs uh, UST either in the future. I think there's going to be additional layer one assets as they prove themselves that, that the community might think would make for good reserve assets. So, yeah, I, I don't see it as an admission. I see it as an evolution of the model in the same way that Ethereum 2.0 isn't an admission that, that Ethereum doesn't work because clearly Ethereum works. It's the most successful network in crypto. Um, it's just that it, it, this is a better model. Does, it, does this require, uh, is it in, for this to really work, does this kind of require um, like a trustless bridge ecosystem to be sufficiently built out? Like we don't really want the long-term just, uh, um, Luna system to really just be dependent on like trust, right? Well, like we want to have these things baked into smart contracts using trustless bridges. Is that kind of the model for how we would get all these layer one assets also backing UST? Yes. Uh, yeah, we need, we need good trustless bridges, but there, there are other design opportunities, right? Like you, you could create synthetic assets um, so sort of at the layer one level with, 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 with an Oracle at the layer one level. The, the, there's a design space here which has different trust assumptions and, and different trade-offs. But uh, I don't think that that's the only possible so solution. Okay. Jordy, uh, let's move on to like um, the DPEG risk here because that's, um, that's something we've seen with other algo stable coins, you know, death spiral, DPEGging, and um, eventual kind of like a tombstone at the end of it. Um, what are the risks of a DPEG event in the UST Terra ecosystem? Uh, yeah, Ryan, I think uh, it's the two that I, I touched upon. So one is there is a reduction in UST demand. And, um, you know, I think even Jose said how important that that demand is and the, the role um, that the Luna team has is to sustain that demand. Because if the demand goes down, that, that really kind of uh, creates a problem. Um, so uh, a reduction in demand because of Anchor having to reduce its yields and then people finding higher yield somewhere else. Like I said, it's entirely possible that another layer one designs the same mechanism um, and gives a slightly higher yield. And that can create um, a relative 
I mean, I agree with Jose, like it can't just be like a totally like new layer one that exists out of thin air because people won't trust it. And we've seen something similar recently with Waves, which is not new, but is, um, is kind of ha had some issues with uh, a similar model. But um, an existing layer one can try to start uh, seeing how successful this design is, can just start doing it themselves and increase uh, yield a little bit. So there's a lot of ways that the demand for UST can go down. Now, what they're trying to do in the meantime, I don't think it's exactly marketing spend. I think what, uh, what in effect they're doing is buying time. They're buying time on the Luna side to say, we, we will do this for a year. And in that year, we will go like all out and integrate as many places as we can in the DeFi ecosystem. We will get on curve, we will get on the pools, we will try to have UST perpetuals trading instead of USDT tether perpetuals for trading venues. We will put UST everywhere to the point where we try to, like it's sort of a bet that you can create enough use cases where people will just, like, like you know, we've been living with uh, tether risk for years, right? Because we need, we need it, we need it to exist. Uh, the trading venues need it, Binance needs it. And it's been, it's kind of been supported by the whole community. And in a way, I think the plan is make it similar to that, make it similar to Tether and not in the centralized sense, but in the sense of the community accepts that, yeah, maybe it's not, we don't know if it's 100% backed, but we're just going to go with it. And, and it, it's a gamble. And, you know, um, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad gamble. It's a gamble. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have Korean friends. I have, I have Korean friends and they love to gamble and they're, you know, it's, it's fine, but that's, we should, we should say what's going on. It's funny. One, one person's uh, fake it till you make it is another person's like, that's just bootstrapping. And so I, I'm curious, Jose, what your response would be to the deep, the depegging and, um, I guess, uh, death spiral risk in USC. Do you think it's overrated or underrated? Well, the, the first thing I'd say is, uh, it's important to concede that there is a risk, right? And people need to be aware of that risk when they both use UST and when they use Luna, because there is that risk. It's, it's a design where that's happened in the past. And, and, and obviously that's, that's there, but, but, um, what, what I would say is that like, first of all, even, even before the, the Bitcoin reserves, actually, maybe if we, if we go from, from, from a little bit higher level, um, when you have a design like die, uh, well, even higher level actually. So all these things have risks, right? Uh, Dai, as as safe as the over collateralized design is, nearly blew up on on in you know Black Black Friday or whatever Black Thursday, whatever it was, because of congestion on the at, at the chain level. Like all these things have risks, even things that you don't think have risks and have smart contract bugs and things. And so and 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 then also um, decentralized stables that use centralized collateral have a complete other set of risks, right? Which is that actually the collateral they're using could be censored. Um, and if and if if we go PVP with governments, which is the real PVP rather than the PVP against each other, um, that that that's like a very real risk. So th there's there's like a spectrum of risks, and it, it's not it's not that UST is the only risky stablecoin. It's that stablecoins have different sets of risks and trade-offs that they make, right? And so the, the trade-off for me between Dai and UST, which are the only like the two biggest decentralized stablecoins, is that Dai prioritizes uh, safety and like pr protection from tail from tail risk over growth and UST prioritizes growth and capital efficiency over downside risk, right? And so what we've seen with, with DAI is um, it, it's really hard to grow it. 
because demand for 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 dye actually doesn't grow the supply of dye it's, it's the demand for leverage that does and so maker ends up competing with other lending platforms for this which is why they've had to add centralized collateral like like te- like usdc right um and so that that's that's a problem in in in, in itself right and then U- ust obviously as we've seen can grow much quicker but the trade off is this this downside risk that we're that we're talking about this tail risk that can happen with the, with the reflexivity death spiral and just like Jordy explained it really well, but there's kind of two scenarios, right? With, with a death spiral. One is like Luna bear market or like, the, or like um, crypto bear market, Luna crashes. People are like, oh shit, I don't know if Luna can, can I swear on this? Uh, if not, just maybe you can bleep it out later. Uh, uh, the, yeah, Luna crashes. Everyone's like, I don't know if, if Luna can, can, can like uh, honor all its liabilities in UST. They start redeeming their UST. More Luna gets minted. The price crashes further. More people want to redeem UST, et cetera. And then the second one is it starts with UST instead, right? There's a, a large contraction of demand for, for UST, which means a lot of Luna price goes down. Um, and then, and then the death spiral can, starts that, that way. Um, and so the first thing I, I would say is that like Luna is backed by an every stable coin, but Luna specifically is backed by, by three things, right? The first and most important one is, is demand for itself. Uh, non-speculative demand is, is really the holy grail of, of, of backing for, for a stable coin. And that's what backed Luna for most of its history, um, other than in certain contractions where Luna had to come in. So, and so the second thing that backs Luna is, is Luna itself, right? In that it absorbs um, shifts in demand for UST. When, when, when demand goes down, Luna gets minted to absorb that. And now we have this, this, this third layer as well, which is this Bitcoin reserve, which effectively acts as an escape hatch and breaks that reflexivity spiral, right? Because now when people want to redeem UST and there's, there's, a, there's a large contraction, sharp contraction in demand, instead of having to mint Luna, they have this ability to, this escape hatch, this escape valve, which is Bitcoin, where they can, they can redeem it for Bitcoin, right? Which reduces the pressure on Luna and breaks that like reflexive death spiral, which is, which is really the problem. Now, uh, so, so that's, all, that's all clear. Um, the, the valid question to ask about this is um, whether 3 billion is enough. Right, like g- given that UST is now at 16 billion, is 3 billion actually enough reserves to, 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 um, to, to protect it? And I think the, the honest answer is that no one knows. It's, 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 it's impossible to, to model these things. Like re- reflexivity is really hard to model, right? All, the, all these things, you have variables that, that aren't independent. They all actually like are recursive and, and depend on each other. So it's, it's really hard to model. Um, what I would say is the system survived up till now with, with no reserves. And so I think the psychological impact of this is going to be huge. And then I would also say that um, what the LFG raise really shows is that people understand, uh, like investors understand the, the upside of, of, of UST, which is the other side of the trade-off, right? Which, you can, which is that you can grow faster. Stable coins are a network effects business. Um, there's going to be one or a few big winners on this. There's, there's a bunch of network effects, liquidity, um, Lindy, and so it's, it's really difficult to, to, um, to unseat a, a stable coin. And what we've seen is that when you start with collateralization, you don't necessarily get demand. But when you start with demand, you can get collateralization. That's what the LFG raise proved, right? And what we're seeing right now, I have good reason to believe uh, there's enough demand on secondary markets to bring Luna above sort of 50 to 75% in Bitcoin reserves just right now, right? Through, through, through transactions on the secondary market. And so my, my view is that basically, 3 billion, um, I don't know if it's enough, but if it isn't, 
uh, I think Luna can can collateralize itself over time, both through these these secondary sales and collateralize the wrong word. Um, reserves is really the right word, but it, it can grow those reserves over time, both on the secondary market and through these through these um, through, through seniorage. So changing the mechanism so that instead of all the Luna being burnt, part of it's actually used to acquire Bitcoin over time, so that the reserves can grow organically over time. Um, that's my saying, view on it. Yeah, I have one quick question. Then we're gonna have to pause for break. And I, look, guys, uh, if you're okay with it, we we want to go over time because this has been such an insightful like conversation. We still have a few more topics to cover. Is that cool? Absolutely. Some more time after the break. Okay. Uh, just one quick follow up on this, Jose. I mean, you mentioned uh, Lindy effect, right? And you also mentioned the uh, maker uh, being tested in 2020. It, part of me wonders about this. Has UST actually been tested because the real test of, I think, any stablecoin design, algorithmic or otherwise, is how does it sustain, not during the good times, but during like the bad times, as Jordy was saying earlier, the, the tail risk events. And when Maker uh, had that like ETH price drop with you know, exorbitant gas fees and everything in uh, the, the COVID drop of, of Black Thursday in March of 2020, that was a, a huge testing event for Maker. And like people didn't know how it would fare because it never had felt something like that before, but it made it out, sustained it on the other side. I'm curious whether Luna has actually been tested in your mind. Like it's one thing for an Algo stablecoin to work during the, the a bull run, and Luna has had a, an absolutely massive secular bull run for the last year or more. That's one thing, but that's easy mode. That's not what a stablecoin is is uh, meant to be built for. It's meant to be built when there's earthquakes and tornadoes and, and hurricanes and the entire world is shaking uh, you know, around yeah. you. Um, has it been tested in that way? And do you think that is a, an important piece in terms of building the credibility of this system? A hundred percent. I think so our equivalent uh, or the, the Terra community's equivalent of the, of the Maker Black Thursday was, was May 2021. So May 2021 last year, where Luna dropped from, uh, there was a contraction in UST supply at the same time as there was sort of some, some coordinated um, FUD around, around Luna. Not to say coordinated in the sense of like that there was anything malicious, just that there was, it all happened at the same time, right? It was adver very adverse market conditions. Luna dropped from 20 plus dollars to three dollars in that time there was a contraction in ust supply uh but then you know uh buyers came in for for, for luna and the, and the system the system survived right and there was a lot of lessons learned from that both in terms of on the, on the mechanism side increasing on-chain liquidity changing some of the parameters for for minting and burning um and and, and also other other lessons that have been that have been learned there now the ust was much smaller when that happened so i, I do think there will be there'll be other tests um, I don't think like the UST or, or Lunar Journey is going to be up only. So I, I think I think there are going to be other tests for it. But certainly it's been it's been battle tested. Like think about how uh, you know think about using. Uh, oh yeah, the other thing that was really actually promising during the May that May um, drop was that um, while Luna was dropping and like uh, and, and and sort of the the death spiral was underway effectively, you actually saw uh, deposits on Anchor increase. Which means that there, there were some people that were actually selling Luna for UST, fleeing to safety, right? And so the, what that shows, and it's like a really positive thing, I think, psychologically, is that some people already see UST as their safe haven. You know, when, when shit hits the fan on chain, they're actually fleeing to UST and going into Anchor and saying, I need a break. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I need to go into stables. And so like, imagine anyone doing that with like ESD, 
or uh, or DSD, right? Like no one is fleeing to the safety of, of ESD or DSD. But I, I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't. Know, I mean, just interrupt. Like I don't know if you can say that. Like it's that's proof that like smart people are like you know the smart money is doing it. It's within the Terra ecosystem within people who are lunatics. It makes sense. You know, they're like, should I have the variable one or the stable one? And I, I'm going to stay within the ecosystem. I'm not going to bridge out. I'm not going to like find a way out. I'm just going to move between the two. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I'm not sure that that necessarily mm-hmm. proves um, something that like, you know, smart people are, are doing that. Um, no comment it, it, on, the, on the smart people thing, but, but it does prove Lindy, right? It, it proves that for some people, it's a, it's, it's a stable coin. It's, it's safety. It proves that there's like a psychological sort of belief in it that, that, that some people have. And, and it's hard to, hard to deny whether you would do it or, and whether you think it was, it was smart for them to do it. Fair, fair enough. It, I, what, right? Fair enough. I'm trying to say every community, like a Cardano, you know, if Cardano community, if there was a market crash, they, they would do the same. Every community that, that is a community that is a layer one, there will be people within that community, within that layer one that, that seek to do that. Uh, um, uh, but I, I'd say it's, I'd say it's slightly different. I, I agree, but I'd say it's slightly different because that one thing is buying Cardano when it drops and you're like Cardano to the, I'm happy the price dropped. You know, I get to buy more or whatever the, the cope stuff that people, people say at those points. Another thing is, is buying the actual stable coin, right? Because that, that shows that you, you trust the system. It's not even that you want, it, it doesn't, you're not buying it for profit or you're buying the dip. You're actually just like using the system as it's meant to be designed. So like, I think it's, it's slightly like different. Point. I agree different. with your, your, it's like, it's like yeah. different. Um, and I, I do want to ask you, um, don't, would, would you not say that in terms of lindiness, the upcoming, like you said, the yield reduction in, in anchor is going to be a whole new different type of test that we, we don't know yet what's going to happen with that. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. Um, I'm pretty positive on, on that. I don't, I don't think it'll matter that much for the reasons I said before, but I, I agree. It's, it's going to be a big big test and the tests face now will be much bigger than, than the ones faced uh, previously for sure. Awesome guys that, uh, thank you for, for going on that back and forth. That was immensely interesting. There are a couple of subjects which we haven't touched on yet, which we definitely need to, before we wrap up this show, uh, the pool four is definitely clamoring, uh, being talked about, uh, throughout the ecosystem, both on the maker side and on the, on the, uh, Terra side. Uh, it, it seems to be that the word maker just creates a bunch of, uh, just, very strong emotions, according to the YouTube chat that I've been watching. Uh, they do not like that word. Uh, so we're going to have to talk about the four pool. Uh, there's also, we want to talk about Do Kwon himself, uh, the level of key man risk that uh, is associated with uh, UST and, and Do Kwon. Uh, the guy has uh, a ton of confidence lately, uh, and I want to get your guys' perceptions as to, to the level of risk. And there's also the conversation of just simply being too big to fail. Uh, and is this an actual intent uh, intentful strategy by the Terra ecosystem just becomes so large that uh, it, it becomes too big to fail. And what does that even mean? So these are the, the remaining topics that we want to get your guys' opinions on. And we'll get there right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Hey guys, we are back with Jose and Jordi. This is uh, the best debate I've ever heard on this topic. Uh, you know, just fantastic. So we, we appreciate these two for, for going over time with us, but we just wanted to make sure we covered all of the topics to best inform you. Uh, here's another topic. Some, I, I think the the bears of the critics of uh, Luna and UST would say that there's a lot of key man risk. Some might even say like, is this like banker type risk? Uh, Doquan is appearing more and more as kind of a an Elon Musk type of figure, I would say in the community. And t- take that for the kind of the good and the bad 
side of things, but definitely somebody who uh, makes statements like by mine own hand, die will die when uh, like talking about the competition between maker and the die ecosystem and uh, UST. Um, some have talked about how maybe uh, Doquan is, is flying a bit close to the sun with, with some of these statements and uh, maybe some of the regulatory risk that, that's going on as well. Of course, the, the SEC is in play, but um, like when you have a centralized, you would say decentralized, I think, Jose, but when you have a stable coin uh, of this type, you might attract some uh, unwanted attention from regulators as well. And all of this kind of comes down to uh, Doquan and, and sort of a, a smaller operating team would be the criticism. I'm curious, first of all, maybe the bear case for, for all of this uh, from your perspective, Jordy, do, do you think that there's some key man risk that um, the UST Terra ecosystem is, is dealing with? Do you think there are some centralization vectors? How would you talk about this piece of it? Yeah, I'm glad you said centralization vectors because I think that's the bigger issue. Um, in terms of Doquan, I think he's phenomenally intelligent. He's been making very good decisions, and he's the reason why this has gone as far as it's gone compared to like you know the things that are not even gone out of the gate. Obviously, there's key man risk. If he gets hit by a bus here in Singapore tomorrow, well, everyone's gonna sell. Like that's a problem. I don't have a huge problem with that because we are early stages, and he's building something that eventually is supposed to kind of run itself. Um, I don't think it's a question that right now there is a key man risk. I don't want to personally focus on that because anything like you could say that about Elon and Tesla, like, does that mean like Tesla should not exist because, um, you know, Elon, there's key man risk. I don't think it's a big deal in itself. Um, I do want to touch on the second point about centralization. I don't know if Jose wants to answer about Doquan first, though. He He's obviously worked uh, with him when I haven't. Maybe he can answer uh about that no go, go ahead I, I probably agree with, with your with your take on it pretty pretty closely so yeah go ahead on the centralization point and then i can answer i can answer both yeah i mean the the bigger issue i have um is we're talking about decentralization this decentralized stable coin i don't know that there is enough diversity in the ecosystem in the people who are building and supporting the ecosystem yet and I'm not talking about Doe, I'm talking more kind of like the jump, uh, jump capital, jump crypto, whatever they call themselves now. Um, they are such a huge backer and supporter that I think overshadows, um, obviously Delphi as well, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you're behind the scenes, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, it's a bit less organic than um, some of the other layer ones. And that's gonna take a while to change and I don't know exactly how we get from point A to point B, where it is a community fully decentralized kind of run thing, as opposed to, you know, you have one brilliant founder and and, and like a, a very powerful uh, kind of company that's really, how do you get from point A to point B? Yep. Uh, do, you, do you want me to co comment on that now? Yeah, go ahead, respond, uh, Jose. Cool. Yeah, so, so the first thing to say is I, obviously really believe in decentralization. Like I wouldn't be in this space if I didn't think uh, that was super important. However, um, I do think, it, I believe in like progressive decentralization, right? And, and I do think projects need to decentralize over time and in the right way. Um, and I think the way like, um, and especially for a stable coin, because a stable coin requires a lot of like, uh, like get shit done energy, you know, you, you need to, you need to push integrations, you need to build products around it, 
you need to do all the stuff that that kind of Doquan has been has been so good at doing. Um, and I think what we see with, with like when you decentralize too early is sort of what you're seeing uh, in in my mind. By the way, this is just my opinion on on the maker governance forums. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Maker. It was my first altcoin that I bought after Ethereum. I learned loads on those Maker forums back in the day. So like big, big fan of Maker. But to me, to, to see their governance at work now is 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 a huge disappointment, right? It, it's a it's a massive bureaucratic mess. Um, there's committees for everything. People aren't well paid. Uh, like communities weighing in and 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 commenting on things. They're very focused on risk assessment versus growth. Uh, you know, Rune, the founder of Maker, kind of admitted he he doesn't understand the the curve wars. Which, which are sort of like the lifeblood of liquidity for, for, for stable coins in a decentralized world. They seem to have that, like a sort of an arrogant attitude towards DeFi generally, that it's all Ponzi's and, and the only thing that matters is these real world assets and, and green bonds and all this. So like, I do think that, that decentralizing too early is, is a problem. And for me, the, the, the right way to, to decentralize is actually to do what, what Terra is doing and onboard like these big organizations with skin in the game that act as like a separate uh, participant and stakeholder in the ecosystem, right? And there's a bunch of those now. Obviously, Jump, as, as Jordy pointed out, is, is, is a big one. I would say Delphi Labs. Um, so the, the, the part of Delphi that I head up is, is another big one, sort of contributing to projects in the Terra ecosystem. In, in the recent round, we had some really good additions with, with Three Arrows and others. Um, there, there's someone um, behind the scenes that are, that, are, that are doing a lot of work in the Terra ecosystem. And I do think that's the right way to decentralize, right? With these big organizations that are, that are focused, that have skin in the game. And then, and the other thing to remember is like, we're literally decent, like, decentralizing now would be so early because UST market cap is 16 billion and this is a multi-trillion dollar market, right? And the, 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 the time to, to like, it's much easier to grow fast when you're more, more centralized than it is decentralized. And so for me, the plan should be to progressively decentralize over time, grow supply loads. And then uh, once, once, once you have that Lindy effect and once, you, once you've grown, uh, decentralize and, and, and focus on robustness. And obviously there's a balance, but that, that's sort of my, my take. And I, I do think decentralization in crypto, uh, unfortunately, often gets used as, as sort of um, a way for, for, for founders that have made it to kind of like semi-retire, right? And, and, and become contributors and like pass it off to the community when really the project isn't ready for that. And it needs the founder, it needs that founder energy um, to, to kind of push things forward. Not, not that they should be a, a centralized point of control, and Doe isn't, right? The system would work without him, but they need that energy of contribution and that inspiration, uh, inspirational leadership to, to push it forward. Um, and then in terms of key man risk, clearly there's key man risk around Doe. Uh, he, he's a machine. Like uh, I've worked with a lot of founders in the space. I, I'd say Doe is, is, is the best one, maybe along with like Stani. Um, he's, he's like a really good mix of sort of a, a great engineer and like a very, very sharp engineering brain with hustle, vision. And then he's obviously like made it several times over but is still incredibly motivated, works harder than me, you know, takes, takes less holidays than I do. Um, so it's clearly key man risk around that. Um, hard, hard to avoid in an, in an early stage project. Jose, with uh, the, the spectrum of uh, centralization and decentralization, uh, I, I'm wondering if you agree with this take, right? So like you've, you've got like a Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, which are maybe on the, the, the far left side of the decentralization spectrum, like veering towards most decentralized, right? And then you have like the traditional TradFi system that's call that, call that kind of the right side of the spectrum, right? And then you have like crypto banks, you have the uh, FTXs of the world and you have the Coinbases of the world that, you know, are a bit left of the uh, the traditional finance because they're using decentralized crypto networks to settle things and that sort of thing. Um, some people have compared uh, the Terra ecosystem to almost like this hybrid mix. It's sort of like fintech-ish 
meets blockchain and placed it kind of somewhere in the middle, this, this hybrid sort of blend. Do you think that's where you'd place it in the decentralization uh, spectrum? Do you think it's like, or do you think it's more uh, kind of toward the left, more decentralized over time and maybe competing with uh, layer ones like uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin? Yeah, I think uh, even putting decentralization on, on like a linear spectrum is, is really tough because there are ways in which Ethereum is extremely decentralized, but then also its, its main stablecoin uh, is, is entirely centralized. And actually the, the biggest stablecoins in Ethereum are completely centralized. They're just IOUs for dollars in a bank account. And those are the undercurrent of all of Ethereum DeFi. And so if those go down, Ethereum, is, is it, it really has like a big centralized attack vector in, in these centralized stablecoins. So like technically, and in terms of node count and all of that, Ethereum is extremely decentralized, but then it has this very you know centralized attack vector. And I think that's why the, it, it's hard to put it on like a spectrum. Um, in terms of Terra, I, I would say the system itself, you know, from, from a technical perspective, is fairly decentralized, you know, um, nowhere near as decentralized as Ethereum in terms of node count and, and all of that. But it's a it's a tendermint chain. Right. So it's 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 a proof of stake tendermint chain. Um, what I would say is, is, is centralized um, is just like there are organizations in the ecosystem who um, who, who have like a, 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 a can make a big impact on the success or failure of this, like jump, um, like uh, you know, TFL, like though, if you, if you, if you agree with that, like LFG, um, but now increasing, there, there's an increasing number of those to the point where that is becoming a, a decentralizing force in itself. So that's kind of my take on it. Like, I think the system is decentralized, but there are some, uh, there, there are some, you know, centralized entities that, that are, that are a big sort of, um, part of, of its success. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good take. David's on mute. All right, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for that, Jose. Jordi, what, what thoughts have come to mind before we go on and move on to any other subjects? Anything that's come up to your brain? I mean, in terms of like, you know, you start centralized and you make incremental steps. I, I fully believe in that. Um, in terms of the ecosystem, the fact that like two main big groups are building a lot of the primitives. Um, I have mixed feelings about it. Like I know one team that's been working uh, hard to try to get like one of the options protocols out on Terra and they just realized that, oh, there is a, there's, they just launched one that's backed by the founding team. How are we going to compete with them when they're backed by Doe and these guys? And we, we, you know, we wanted to launch the same thing. So you're going to have a lot of the ecosystem be kind of, you have that a little bit with Solana, but not as much. I think, you know, Solana has, quite a diverse group of founders that ultimately are not necessarily all, um, you know, FTX related, et cetera, um, or, or jump related. Um, but look, at the end of the game, like, does it really matter what ecosystem Terra has if the, the key thing is a stable coin? Like for me, it, it might not even matter. It might just matter what, what, what they manage to do in terms of going to other chains and getting UST on other chains and making it spread everywhere as opposed to necessarily building all the primitives on on terra if they do really good ones then it could work um it's obviously got the narrative right now so i don't um i don't have a strong opinion i guess well okay talking about ust on other chains i think it's exactly where we want to go next uh recently doquan uh proposed the four pool a new curve pool between ust frax usdc and usdt uh, so that's, of course, uh, Terra, USD, the FRAX stablecoin, USDC, and then Tether. Um, uh, most importantly, pushing out DAI, uh, moving, removing DAI from, from the, the curve pool. 
uh, and uh, he was claiming that the curve wars are over and that all emissions are going to the four pool, meaning that all the incentives are going to be towards adding liquidity to the four pool rather than the previous pool with Dai in it. So, uh, I, Jose, I want to get your perspective on this. Uh, Doquan tweeted out, by my hand, Dai will die, which is a pretty aggro thing to tweet out. Like, what's his deal with Maker? Like, why does he not like Maker so much? And what's the, what, what, how does this four pool from Curve kind of fit into the story? Um, I think though, like, at least this is my interpretation. I'm, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, pretend to speak for Doe. It, it's just that Maker and, and generally there's, there's sort of a group of people on Twitter that are constantly um, making some pretty malformed arguments against UST and also just calling it like a Ponzi and referring it to it and stuff, stuff like that. And it, I think it must be frustrating as a founder who, who's put their life's work into this and, and created something pretty incredible, which is an algorithmic stablecoin that, that has worked and is now, you know, and doing everything that he's doing. Uh, I think it must be pretty annoying to, to, to keep hearing that. Um, and I, I think Maker has been pretty, pretty arrogant about it and, and, and sort of dismissive of it. And I think that's that my interpretation is that that's, that's rubbed him, him the wrong way. Um, I don't know if that's accurate or not. But and then in terms of the four pool, it's a, it's a huge move, right? Uh, the, the three pool is, is the biggest and like most most liquid pool on on curve. So it ends up being the bridge pool for a lot of uh, stablecoin swaps and then the bridge pool for a lot of swaps generally, especially as, as curve V2 and the volatile assets becomes bigger um, with this. So and, and Frax had it, had its own pool, which it was uh, participating in the curve war. So uh, like buying a lot of convex in order to to influence. And then Terra had its own pool that, again, it was doing it was doing the same thing. And they have basically like teamed up. Right. They've, they've kind of cartelified um, and, and they're along with Redacted. And there's also, I think, a few others joining this coalition in order to put in this four pool, which will be, you know, Frax, um, UST, uh, Tether and USDC and, and send all incentives towards this pool, which should make it the most liquid pool in a stablecoin pool in DeFi and become the bridge pool so that, so that uh, Frax and, and UST become the reference decentralized stablecoins uh, across chain. So pretty huge move. Uh, I, I was really taken aback by it. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what Jordy thinks about it, actually, because yeah, it seems, seems like a, a big thing. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about the Curve Wars for a while now, and now we've actually seen somebody make a move and try to get you know, a consortium together and, and, and pull something like this off. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're very much in experimental phase here, and um, you know, seeing Olympus join in is, you know, you're having these like strange bedfellows here where you're kind of getting the votes and we're, we're in experimental land. Um, I'm interested to see how, how it all plays out. Um, yeah. Do you I'm, think I'm this just, will fully I'm just like eating my popcorn on this one. Jordy, do you think this will f like result in the full saturation of Ethereum DeFi with uh, USD? Uh, no, I don't think it's that straightforward. I mean, we're there's so many assumptions. Like, first of all, the assumption that centralized stablecoins um, are problematic right now. Uh, I mean, I agree with Jose. Like, eventually, like we have to create something for when the day comes, and and we need and we need to have something decentralized. But um, I don't think that the vast majority of USDC being used on Ethereum is is gonna stop. Uh, being utilized. I, I'm not sure about Dai's prospects. Obviously, um, that's a different story, and, and I'm not I'm not an expert on it, so I, I can't comment on on Dai's prospects. But in terms of like USDC uh, being outstripped by UST, um, I don't I don't think we're we're at that stage right now. 
I don't think we're at that stage either, but, but I do think uh, centralized, like if you, if you just zoom out to the long term, which is like what the way we, we work at Delphi is we just try and figure out what's the future of crypto going to be, what should it be? And then we just try and both figure it out to invest in it, but also just build towards it, right? And for me, it's pretty clear that centralized stable coins will not be the long-term solution for, for, for a bunch of reasons, right? Like the, their bank accounts can get frozen and suddenly they're insolvent. Um, they can get forced to freeze uh, transactions. They have the, the power to unilaterally like freeze uh, balances, right? And they can get forced or coerced to do that by governments. But then there's even smaller things like they're facilitating you know, like hundreds of billions of dollars of transactions for clients that they, that they know nothing about, right? And that, that's going to be a problem for nation states. Like at some point they're going to be like, hey, who are these people that are, that are transacting? Like, is there any KYC here and stuff? And you, you, you can't do that for DAI or, or for UST in the same way. And if those products become KYC, they just become way less relevant, right? And it's not the case that it'll get regulated and it'll all go at once. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. But what's going to happen is, let's say suddenly uh, they start freezing balances from, from people who didn't pay their taxes, right? Governments find um, some links from centralized exchanges to people who, who didn't declare it on their taxes. They find out they have USDC, they contact uh, Circle and get them to, to, to freeze their balance. Suddenly, um, that doesn't just affect people who don't pay their taxes, right? It, first of all, it affects all the crypto people who don't pay their taxes, who I think is a, <laughs> is, a, is, a big, is a big amount of people, but it also affects everyone else because suddenly you're like, damn, when I hold these stables, these, this isn't actually crypto. It becomes very visceral, right? This isn't crypto. Um, and, and so that will cause the slow move. And then if they do something like KYC, that'll again cause more of a move. And, and so I think like slowly over time, it'll, it'll all move to, to decentralized stable coins. That's kind of how, how we're positioning ourselves. Um, and then just one thing I wanted to touch on that Jordy said before about other layer ones uh, being able to copy the, the design. I agree that they, they should do it. Uh, I think it's a really good, I think it's a good idea because you, you literally own your biggest use case, right? You verticalize and, and like own one of your biggest use cases rather than letting someone else build on top of it and rather than letting it become centralized as well, which is another big, big problem. I do think it's going to be really tough for the reasons uh, mentioned before that it's not a mechanism. Like it is a mechanism, but it's much more than a mechanism. It's actually the economy and the demand that's built around it. And so the layer one would end up having the same problem where it has to go through all its applications and ask them to integrate it, right? Um, and so I think you need both uh, a layer one that's willing to do it and like a visionary or a group of visionaries that can build all these use cases around it and get people to actually use it because otherwise uh, you risk blowing up your layer one as well, right? Uh, with, with, with something like this as ESD and DSD did. So, and, and also that you, you can fork the mechanism, you can't fork the reserves, you can't fork the Lindy, you can't fork the experience of, of a year and a half of running this. So I do think that's much tougher than, than, uh, than generally copying a mechanism is. But Jose, one one uh, question I have for you is like about the first point about AML KYC and uh, like yeah having a decentralized stablecoin being important to to stand up against like the USDCs of the world. Why do you think the same fate won't befall uh, UST? Right. So there are many centralization vectors, the LFG grid being one of them. Certainly, the jump capitals of the world are uh, highly regulated institutions. Um, some of this is, uh, you know, executed via bridges, which also could be a kind of a, a centralization vector. Uh, I think someone who is very into like the consensus layer of chains might even say sort of, you know, proof of stake validators that uh, are run by, um, you know, third parties and not by users, you know, from their own homes are another centralization vector. Can you give me the case for why this doesn't also yeah. just happen to US, UST? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. There's an important distinction, which is 
in Luna, no one can seize assets or freeze balances, right? There's no one you can subpoena, Like you, you can subpoena jump and, and be like, hey, you know, I want you to freeze this wallet. This, this, this dude hasn't paid his taxes. They, they can't do that, right? Neither can Doe, neither can TFL. No one can do that. In, in USDC, there's a clear entity, Circle, uh, which, which is actually a US entity. And so like uh, in, in, in the US jurisdiction that can freeze balances. And if they receive a subpoena and an order by the US government, they are able to do it. So it's a case of you trusting whether they will or won't, whereas with, with Terra, you, you can't. So there are, there are centralization vectors you can hit and make things difficult. So you could say, no one can integrate UST because they're not doing KYC in the US or something like that. But you can actually like destroy it in the same way that you could with, with something like uh, USDC or Tether. I do want to get back into and just to wrap up the conversation around the four pool. Uh, Jose, can you like measure for us the significance of the adoption of the four pool in lieu of the three pool? Like how critical of a, how big of a W would that be for UST and how big of an L would that be for DAI? Um, like Rune made it. Yeah, it would be a massive when I don't have like um, stats off, off the top of my head. But it, it would be a massive win, right? Like Curve is the liquidity hub for stable coins in DeFi. Um, and, and basically DAI is, is with, through the three pool is the most liquid decentralized stable coin on, coin on Curve. This would make it not the case, right? It would make UST and FRAX the most liquid decentralized stable coins on Curve. So it, it's, a, it's a huge thing because if you want to bridge from, from stable coins to, to other stable coins, or just if you want access to, to the UST ecosystem, um, everything becomes way easier when, when you have the most liquidity and liquidity is one of the biggest moats with, um, with decentralized stable coins. Now Rune, and I also think Maker's response is, is sort of like classic, which is just, they point out that um, unlike something like this happening to UST, this isn't a, a threat to the die peg, right? Which is true. Like the die's design means that it losing a huge amount of utility and demand isn't a threat to its peg, but is a, it is a threat to a stable coin, right? To it as a stable coin. And like, it's not enough to just be pegged. Like you have to grow to win in this market. Like stable coins are gonna be huge. And if you're not growing, if you're just pegging, that's not enough. Like these aren't uh, risk management products, you know, that, that's one, one side of it. But there's the other side, which is the adoption, the utility and demand, which I feel like is, is just not being considered. Um, and, and the response to me is like, sort of uh, symptomatic of, of what I see as the, as the problem with them. And obviously people will disagree. And some people are very bullish on the real world asset strategy at it. Yeah. So just my take. Let's talk about maybe the the last thing we haven't uh, talked about with all of this, which is uh, what would actually happen during a de-pegging type scenario. I think uh, both of you acknowledge that there is some risk there and Jose would rate it uh, far lower than the Jordy. But I think, of course, we're all in DeFi as we end every bankless podcast with... Um, this is risky. You could lose everything, right? Uh, and and certainly, algo stablecoins have been risky in the past. And so, let me just walk through like a, a nightmare scenario for you. Why why people are maybe worried about this? Critics are worried about this. Like, if UST fails, like it could drag the entire industry down with us. But let's say there is some big depegging event, massive liquidation, bunch of investors um, get liquidated all across you know, chains, uh, lots of people lose a lot of money. And the next thing you know, Elizabeth Warren is on CNN saying, hey, I told you guys the shadowy super coders were going to take from retail and here they are again, right? And we have to regulate this industry. We have to clamp down on it. We have to outlaw it uh, until we understand what's going on. It can't be the Wild West anymore. 
and it drags the entire crypto space down with it. That is what some people would say is kind of the, the tail event risk of uh, something like USC growing too big and then suddenly collapsing. I'm curious, Jordy, what you think about this. Do you think this is a, a possible scenario? Is this something that you worry about? Or do you think even like bears and critics who say that are getting a bit over their skis and then we'll get Jose to respond? As an aside, I like how I used the over the skis thing early, like in the introduction. And since then I've noticed like everyone's used it in different <laughs> <ways>. <laughs> Language is mimetic, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, it's a risk, we, we, like we just said, and I don't think that me and Jose are in huge disagreement about uh, the chance of the risk, maybe a little bit, but not, not to a huge extent. Um, in terms of the Elizabeth Warren thing, she's been bringing up, you know, Wonderland. She's, what, whatever's been going on that's negative in crypto, she'll bring up. Now, if, if something happens in the next few months, I don't think it's necessarily a, a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. If it happens in a year where like, you know, everyone is already assuming that UST is, um, is money, it's, it, it's, it's equal to a dollar uh, and, and something for whatever reason happens at that time. Yeah, it'll shake the foundation of a crypto. Uh, a lot of people might get hurt. And uh, the thing that I hate about it the most, um, you see how these things play out. We've seen them recently. We've had MIM Wonderland. So we've seen like the curve pool there. There's a certain amount of liquidity that you can get out of. And what ends up happening is out of nowhere, you just have like Alameda, one of these like huge whales, just smacks the whole thing for 500 million or whatever. It takes everything out. They'll take a hit. You know, they'll lose, uh, they'll take a $50 million loss because they've, They've accepted the slippage that comes along with such a big order, but they will just unilaterally suck all the liquidity out. And that's the signal for everybody else to panic, but it's kind of too late because the, the money's already gone. There's not much USDC, USDT left in. So uh, in that nightmare scenario, the thing that I hated about the most is that the big players um, who are like the big whales, you know, we don't need to like talk who, who they are, will probably like, be able to swipe the curve pool first they'll take out the best price and then the the system that luna has for um uh you know until the bitcoin system comes along right now they just uh will will use luna as the collateral there's a cap every day this is what we saw back in last may there's 20 million dollar cap now even if that's increased 100 million the reality is that the retail guys are not going to be able to get any of that 20 million per day It'll just instantly be taken out every day by John Bovers. By 20, the way, 20, yeah. 20 right. million Luna or 20 million UST? Um, we can go check the stats. I don't think the cap daily cap is 20 million UST, but we can go we can go check that afterwards. Okay, I'm pretty sure back in May that it was only 20 million dollars of uh, UST, but back then the price of Luna was so small that you may be right. Maybe it was just because it, it wasn't that far from a dollar at the time that uh, maybe. Um, the point being, um, there is some cap, and I don't think it's twenty million Luna. Um, I think, no, it's I not twenty million, Luna, but it, it, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but we'll get the exact numbers for listeners, maybe for the. So my my understanding is that uh, it used to be ten million, and then jump pushed to twenty million, and there's been discussion about getting it to hundred million. Uh, and what we see in times of demand, like recently, is every day it's capped at the, at the max every day, but in the in the other direction, people are trying to get into Terra because they want to get on Anchor. Yeah. So it's capped every day and someone's making a lot of money on the arbitrage because they can make 30, 40 bips. You can go to Binance 
sell it for 40 bips above the peg and somebody is getting like all 20 right away and, and making like 40 bips on it, the reverse is going to happen in the bad scenario where the first, the people who are actually able to get out are going to cap the supply and those are going to be like the sophisticated whales. Um, so you'll have the curve pool taken out and then you'll have the max supply every day. So that's a nightmare scenario. I hope doesn't happen, but unfortunately, if it does happen, it won't be, um, it won't be very equitable. So, uh, Jose, back to you. Jordi is uh, like manifesting some 20, uh, 2008 energy where retail is once again left holding the bag for a tail risk event like this. Um, how do you respond to maybe that, that, that moral risk, the moral hazard here of uh, an experiment like UST getting too big? Yeah, um, it would definitely be catastrophic. I think right now it would be mainly catastrophic for Terra itself. Uh, so obviously like Luna holders, Luna would... would uh, you know, death spiral to, you know, some asymptote towards zero, I suppose. Um, UST would, 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 would do the same. So it'd be very catastrophic for, for, for Terra itself. Uh, there is a lot of UST on, on Ethereum and, and liquidity pools, but I don't think, uh, you know, most of the effect would really be on, on Terra itself. That actually changes with the four pool, right? Where the effect would be more systemic in that case, because it would be the, the reference currency for DeFi as a whole. But um, I don't really um, agree with the, with, with the idea that, that our retail would get screwed because retail is just like smaller sizing, right? So it'd be much easier for, for, for them to get out with lower slippage than it would for some of these big funds where some of these big funds would literally just not be able to, to get out in size because of what you say, where the liquidity would just dry up on the, on the curve pool. So I but think they'll it, be, obviously they'll, they'll be faster. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, dep it depends who gets out first. Like if they wait too long and somebody else, like, I agree, it's a lot easier to go through the door if you're small, but you need to yeah. know you need to know to get through the door. You need to know. But, absolutely. But, but I think there's also going to be like, right now, most of the liquidity is on curve. I think uh, Astroport is going to be spinning up its own uh, stablecoin pool. So there's going to be liquidity on, on Terra too. So users will be able to kind of exit that way. Um, so, so I don't know. Yeah, I agree that the, the whales will know first, um, but they'll also uh, suffer a lot more slippage. And they'll also, we've also seen a few times where whales exited, suffered slippage for something that wasn't the, the death spiral they were, they were looking for. So yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, sensitive to the to the moral argument, obviously, but but I do think uh, two things. There's a more moral argument for UST as well, right? There's a moral moral argument for decentralized stablecoins, like actual decentralized stablecoins that can't be stopped by by, by nation states. Uh, so that's the first thing. I think that's really important. And then the second thing is that everything in the space has uh, failure risk. These these are all experiments, you know, including something like Dai, like I mentioned before almost blew up in, in, uh, in, on, on, on Black Thursday, right? And that would have been at that time catastrophic for the, for the space. Uh, obviously, we have the DAO hack from back in the day, which was something that shouldn't have had, shouldn't have even been that risky, but was because it had a smart contract bug in it. So I think like, as you say at the end, right, this is the frontier. Um, we, we, we all kind of uh, accept that risk when, when, we, when, we, when we play here. But I do think um, one thing that is important is that everyone, and especially if you have a platform and you're, you're bullish Luna, you're bullish UST, um, you should be honest about the the risks, right? And that's something that we're we're, we're very careful to do at, at Delphi. You know, when we when we present it, we're always careful to disclaim it. Uh, in, in products that we that we help incubate or contribute to, it, it's always present in the, in the disclaimers. And so I think being honest about the risks so that people know them is super important because that's actually what makes me bullish about this. It's not that it's not that I think it's riskless. It's that I understand the risks and think, but think the upside is you know far far outweighs it. Uh. Bull case, bear case, it's time for closing arguments right now. And uh, since we started with Jose, I'm going to flip to uh, Jordi first. Uh, your closing arguments for 
why you think it makes sense to be bearish on Luna slash UST? Yeah, I mean, we've used them interchangeably, but I'll just recap that I think they are a little bit different. Um, the bear case for Luna first, assuming that UST is okay, is that the demand um, gets kind of uh, dwindled down because other chains do something similar because somebody does a better mousetrap. There's ways that Luna price itself suffers without a DPEG. Um, so um, that's kind of half of the equation. The other half is obviously on UST. So um, there's a lot of risks. The, the BTC bridge risk hasn't been figured out. There's market risk. Unfortunately, BTC might go down and then like a lot of the reserves that have been built up, the narrative will change. Um, BTC could go up and then like Jose said, everything just looks completely different, but we have to be aware of, of the risks. Um, we have to be aware that there is centralization right now. There's big funds that are going to be able to uh, kind of pull strings and, and have inside information and, and know things a lot earlier. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy that Jose gave like a full disclaimer. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. Um, there is indeed a moral, ar moral argument for it succeeding and having something like that succeed. My full bear case is that we are very far away from that endpoint. There's a ton of stuff to figure out, even with having such a good team working on it. We have no idea what's going to happen even in like in a few months when anchor yield goes down. There are so many unknowns. Um, so that's, that's the main bear case. Like we, we can't just consider it a foregone conclusion that we're going to get to this end state. Jose, I'd love to hear your final thoughts, your final uh, closing statements as to the uh, the bull case for, for Luna. And the chat is also asking, uh, since they are perceiving this show as to be focusing on the bear case, I just want to give you just a few extra minutes, a few extra time to really just with with confidence, give out give us the bull case for Luna. Just make us all Luna maxis. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So first of all, I think you guys have been pretty good. Thank, thank you very much for the for, for the platform and for for opening this up to to other opinions. Um, I think as one thing to note is as lunatics, um, we need to be like accepting uh, of of other communities and educating them on on Luna and on risks because Luna actually relies on like UST is relies on being the reference stablecoin for DeFi as a whole, not just for Terra. So it needs to be on Ethereum. It needs to be everywhere and being antagonistic and like. Uh, hating on people and 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 criticizing and stuff is, is not the is not the lunatic way. I, I know that Doe uh, sometimes counters that with 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 some of his uh, Twitter spice, which is which is I love his Twitter spice, but it's always directed at a person, right? It's never directed at a community, and that's really important. Like we, there, there's no reason why we should we should we should hate Ethereum or hate any of the other chains that that are, that are uh, we're, we're we're all gonna make it basically. Um, and then so. On the on the Luna bear argu uh, bull argument, sorry. So th one of the biggest things that makes me bullish is how misunderstood it still is and, and controversial, and also how bad and like repetitive some of the fud is. So like, I think we the peg fud and the anchor sustainability fud to me is is like actually pretty weak. Um, I I sort of explain my arguments for why I think that's the case. Uh, I think there's stronger arguments against UST. I think probably the key man risk and the, the just the technical, which we didn't we didn't cover, but just the fact that. Terra isn't a particularly scalable layer one, and maybe that's not the end game. Um, I think there, there are sort of counter arguments to that as well. But I, I, yeah, the, all our best investments have always been controversial, and, and how controversial this is, and is is one of the things that makes me super bullish. Um, and then in terms of of UST itself, so I think people 
just over-index and focus on this peg risk and just repeat it over and over again without focusing on the upside, right? On the on, on what happens if it works. Um, and what happens if it works is you have the, the UST as the biggest decentralized stablecoin, also in my mind, the most decentralized in the biggest market in crypto, which is money, right? Decentralized stablecoins are literally going to be a multi-trillion dollar industry. I think most, most people that are in crypto can agree with that. And UST currently is the, is the fastest horse in, the, in that race. And so it, in a, in a net, in, and if we agree that stablecoins are a network effect business, right? Um, you need liquidity, you need Lindy, you need people to trust it. Then you want to bet on the winners and you want to bet on whoever's growing fastest. And UST's model, while more vulnerable to Taylor risks, as we've, as we've spoken about, allows it to grow much faster. And that, that's, that's a big deal, you know, because if you grow fast in a, in a network effects business, you win, which is why the anchor um, yield reserve subsidy makes so much sense, similar to the PayPal strategy, right, of, of subsidizing its initial users and why this, this whole strategy make, makes, makes so much sense to me. Um, and so for me, it's like you have a stable coin that was already working really well, growing really fast, that's becoming even stronger with a Bitcoin reserve, uh, a Bitcoin reserve that, that we're, is going to be finding ways to grow over time both through additional sales for which there's, uh, you know, quite a lot of appetite from, 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 from investors still. Um, and then also from just growing it through seniorage and, and continuing to buy Bitcoin. And so I think you have a model that can grow super fast and that's also becoming more and more resilient by the day with the addition of this, of this LFG reserve. And so, and then when you, when you, when you combine that with a layer one that's thriving where I, I continue to see some of the smartest builders that, I, that, I, that, I, that I've seen anywhere on, on, on crypto, Building on building on Terra, whether it's and, and completely new primitives as well that haven't succeeded on Ethereum, like Prism, right, which is a, a yield splitting primitive. There's APY and Pendle on Ethereum, but they really haven't succeeded. Whereas I think Prism has has done a much better job nailing that. Um, there's other things like Perps with 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 order book, uh, you know, Forex Perps that are coming with Vertex. Uh, there's Perps that are coming with Levana. There's a whole ecosystem around gaming and NFTs that that those putting a lot of effort into. And so when when you combine all of this, uh, I just think there's, there's no uh, faster horse in the decentralized stablecoin race than, than UST, and, and we like to bet on winners. There you go. Uh, bankless listeners, this has been the bull and bear case for Luna UST, um, probably the most comprehensive I've ever heard. And I want to give a special thanks to both Jose and Jordi for joining us and having such a civil, informative, uh, well-argued debate. We appreciate you guys. Thanks very much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bankless Nation, we will uh, link to some of the things that, that Jose in particular referenced in the, uh, the show notes as soon as we have some links. That's you know, links to long-term anchor yield. I think you referenced something there. A few other stats we might link to as well. But as always, got to end with this. None of this has been financial advice. Right? I think our panelists were very clear that there are risks in crypto. There are risks in DeFi. They're just everywhere. But we want to let you know that you could definitely lose what you put in. We're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.